Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. So you want to be a person of spiritual authority. And as a son and daughter of Almighty God in the Lord Jesus Christ, you believe that it's your inheritance to live the overcoming Christian life, to live the victorious Christian life. By the way, in the upcoming sessions, we will talk more about what actually the overcoming life is. But for now, can I just say the overcoming life does not mean the victorious Christian life. A life of spiritual authority does not mean that you are invincible or impervious to the issues and affairs of this life. That is, you can't say I am the son and daughter of God. I have spiritual authority, therefore I can just jump off of buildings and I'm not going to get hurt. Even Jesus didn't jump off of buildings, although he was tempted to act and live outside of the confines of his humanity. Christ nevertheless lived fully within the limitations of humanity, yet he had spiritual authority. He did not jump off of that building, but he was able to rebuke the devil. He was able with spiritual overcoming, with power and might, resist the devil. Yet he himself remained fragile. We will discuss that in an upcoming session. But for now, when you are tempted by the devil and there is an onslaught of darkness, perhaps an assignment against your life, Perhaps there is some curse out to trip you up. There is some lie to deceive you. Let's just say there is a negative onslaught against your life to take you out, to make you the tail, to, to, to cause you to fail. And you now sense it. Aha, the devil is out to get me or darkness is out to trip me. You, by the Holy Spirit, become aware of this. Okay. Here's my question. How are you going to come into spiritual authority over that issue? Some temptation, let's say, comes your way. And it is very, very enticing. And it grabs a hold of your attention. And you're mauling it over in your head over and over and over again. And you're beginning to conclude, actually, there are some benefits to giving into this temptation. This is going to benefit my flesh. It's going to benefit my ego. It's going to benefit my pocketbook, my career progression, etc., etc. Okay. The Spirit of God now rises up within you and says, Son, daughter, that temptation, that is... That is of the pit. You need to stand against it. Here's my question. How is the authority of God going to come into your being to resist that temptation? 
even as Christ stood on the corner of that high point of the temple and the devil tempted him to jump off. Hey, because it's written in the word of God, just jump. His angel's going to catch you. How do you resist? How do you gain the authority to overcome in that situation? That's what today's message is all about. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you where are we going to go today. We're going to talk about the grace of God. It is the grace of God that's going to empower you with authority in that moment to resist that darkness, that lie, that temptation. Call it what you will. I made the mistake, especially in the early years of my walk with the Lord, where I thought grace is just an issue at the upstart of the spiritual life. Grace is an issue of salvation. You know, I can't earn salvation with God. I can't make myself clean and holy and righteous and just before God. So, yes, I need grace. And then to overcome these temptations and to resist the devil, I take it upon myself. Okay, I'm going to work really hard at this. I'm going to fast really hard. I'm going to sing really hard. I'm going to I'm going to really put in some time with God to to gain this victory to to get this overcoming power within me. I'm going to study and bottom line is I'm going to strive. It's it's up to me to gain this authority over this temptation, this issue, this lie, let's say. And strangely enough, the more I tried, the harder I strove, the less I seemed to overcome. And then the Lord began to teach me, grace is not just an issue at the upstart of your spiritual life. Grace is going to carry you for the remainder of your spiritual life. And grace is also an issue of overcoming. I don't work to overcome. Overcoming, power, Authority is granted to me. I need to learn to receive the grace of God because in the grace of God is really everything I need for life and godliness, including how to resist that temptation, how to uh, believe the truth instead of the lie, how to walk right versus crooked, etc., etc., how to resist the devil, how to resist that works of of darkness, that power, that principality, that curse that comes against you. Beloved, grace is not just for salvation. Grace also grants you authority and victory. And I submit to you again and again and again, the trick to the spiritual life is to learn how to receive from God exactly what you need every moment of your spiritual life. And that is the heartbeat of today's message. Can you discern the grace of God who wants to equip you, empower, sustain, and authorize you? Or do you sort of take the grace of God for granted, fixate on your self-effort, capability or inadequacies and whatever you've got to do in your religious practices and traditions and striving, beloved, no matter how long you've walked with your Lord, you can never saturate grace, exhaust grace. And grace applies also in this arena of spiritual authority.
So before we go on to how to deal with the devil, how to deal with powers and principalities and lies and temptations and all of these many things, we've got to get the basics down. Learn to identify with Christ. Learn to receive the grace of Christ in every area of your life. And I hope today's message challenges you to let go of your flesh, your striving, and open up your heart one more time to grace, particularly in the area of overcoming power, victory, and spiritual authority. Spiritual victory or overcoming is not something that is produced from human effort. We don't work for victory. We live from victory. Anything that ever comes as a result of my work, my striving, can never be reckoned as spiritual victory. Because... If I worked and I arrived at victory, then boasting will be inevitable. I love the fact that I'm weak. And I don't have to try to be acceptable to God. I don't have to try to overcome Satan. I don't have to try nothing. And guys, the less I try, the stronger I am. And I have found that the more I try to arrive at overcoming sin, Satan, self, and the world, that the less I do. But the more I fixate on Jesus, what He has accomplished, and the more I just identify with His victory, seemingly, just graciously, this strength comes into me to overcome. And I don't overcome by doing, I overcome by believing. And I used to have also the mindset... Victory is still something in front of us. I've got to work for it. Then the Lord began to teach me, no, victory is accomplished. When I was young in the Christian life, I had a lot of strength, a lot of vitality. So I, man, I'm going to fight Satan. Oh, I'm going to accomplish. I'm going to arrive. Every time that I seemingly arrived, I made sure everybody knew about it, right? See, anything that you do by way of self-exerted effort always is accompanied with boasting. It's impossible for the self to do something and not brag about it. It's impossible. So the same is in the spiritual life. Notice people who exert a lot of effort to become prayer warriors. They make sure that you know that they're a prayer warrior. Folk who have great Bible studies... And they have real discipline and they accomplished really. They make sure you know that they spend an hour every day in the Bible. Guys who fast. Show me a modern Christian who fasts and let nobody knows. There, there is no such person. See, Jesus went into the desert. And I'm not sure how Matthew, Mark, Luke and John all got a hold of the story. Maybe at one time Jesus did tell them, oh... I did go into the desert for 40 days, but by and large, nobody knew. He was all by himself. 
See, Jesus is the only one that can perfectly fast and do it in secret. None of you can. I've never been able to. Every time I do something in the spiritual life, y'all, this is amazing. I make sure you know about it. <laughs> I had a quiet time with God this morning. It was awesome. He spoke to me. Look, why, why do I have to tweet out? Why do I have to tweet out and take an Instagram picture? It's because I need someone to recognize me. I need someone to boast. So here's my point. Anything you do in the spiritual life that is initiated from you and is predicated on your strength, your ability, your fighting, your striving. I mean, why do something if you don't let people know what you're doing? Especially spiritually. So in the spiritual life, the temptation is to think it is all still out there. And, and I work for it. When really, <laughs> you're already there where it's at. Because you're seated with God in the heavenlies. You're a partaker of the divine nature. You've been grafted into God. God's been grafted into you. You're already one with God. You're already one with the perfect fast, the perfect prayer life, the, the perfect anything. It's, it's already accomplished. And He did it all. And all that God now does over time is make it real to me. So now I can fast and I can pray, but I'm not bothered who sees me. I'm not bothered who knows about it. I'm not bothered to keep score because it's not me. So I have nothing to brag about. I used to think I got to work for, and now I discovered I live from. Working for is the emphasis on the humanity. Oh, I got to work for that sitting in the heavenly places. Then the Lord renewed my mind. I just began to sort of open one eye reading the Bible. Just began to halfway pay attention. I'm like, no, I am seated and I'm living from forgiveness. I'm living and walking with God from a place of peace. I already have an inheritance. It's just not manifested yet, but I already have it. By faith, I have it. Victory is a gift, not a reward. Gifts are freely bestowed. Reward is something we get as a result of work. Why do we treat spiritual victory, spiritual overcoming, spiritual strength other than salvation? Salvation is free, but spiritual strength, ooh, I gotta work. See, then we're differentiating that in God, uh, some things are free, some things are to be earned. I come from the perspective, everything God accomplished, and it's all freely given to me. I just have to wake up in the morning and just reckon according to that fact. Reckon according to that truth. Reckon according to that accomplishment. And so the whole Christian life that I live, I don't look at my current weakness. 
I look by faith to what is said of me, what is accomplished for me. And I realize, wow, anything God wants me to live in today, it is a gift if I could stay in faith. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us. I love that. God has granted. Past tense. It has been given. It's already bestowed. God's divine power has granted to us some things, a few things, or what does it say? Everything. All things, everything that pertains to life and godliness. Either that is true, or Peter, that's it. You're a liar. Peter says, God's power has granted to you everything, all things that pertains to living and to being godly. So, there's nothing more for me to work or strive. It's just given. I don't know about y'all, but this is, uh, this is in, a, in accordance with the gospel, I believe, that everything is of God. It's freely of God. Why is salvation free of God, but victory over sin, Satan, self, and the world is not free? You get what I'm saying? I submit to you that some of us cannot overcome sin because you're at war of sin. And guess what? Sin is going to win. Some of us cannot conquer Satan. Why? Because you're, you, you, you think you've got what it takes. You don't. Self? I mean, who really in here thinks he can overcome self? The world. I notice how many of you care for the image of the world. What does the world think? What do they think? Guys, God has granted you all things that pertains to life and godliness. The only way that you'll overcome the world is the granting of victory from God to you. The problem is you do not want to believe what God's given you. This is the crux of where we're going today. It's not that God still has to do something, that He hasn't done something, He's not done enough. God has granted. The big issue is unbelief in the house. God's got nothing more to accomplish. He's done it all. The only thing that's left is will you take it? normal Christian life, and by the way, there is a normal Christian life, as opposed to an abnormal Christian life. But the normal New Testament Christian life is a life that's not under the law, but it's a life that is under grace. The principle of overcoming is the principle of grace. 
and not the principle of reward. Can you guys follow with me? But we live in a dispensation in an era called grace. This is where God has accomplished everything on your behalf and now just freely wants to give it to you. We live in this dynamic and it's called grace. Amen? After all, we call this the gospel. But what happens is you and I, we only want to get salvation by grace, but anything else in the Christian life, we want to put ourselves under law. I'm going to earn favor with God. I'm going to earn healing. I'm going to earn victory. Everything else we earn except salvation. Thank you, Jesus. We believe you for that. But the rest, I got this. Beloved, when you're under the principle of grace, there's divine power. When you're under the principle of the law, there's failure. There's condemnation. There's death. There's defeat because there's no power. Notice how Peter just said it a minute ago. His divine power grants. Like grace is associated with divine power. And every time you and I can just come a little bit more into the grace of God and receive a little bit more, just the finished work of God and the accomplished fact, then you will feel a strange power come into you that changes your nature, changes your feelings, changes your desires. It's not me like the Pharisee that didn't want to look at a woman back in the day. There was genuinely a uh, Pharisee that um, they called the bleeding Pharisee. It's a mockery that they made of a Pharisee in that that man never looked up lest he looks at a woman. So he would always walk with his head down, shuffle through the streets and bump into stuff, bump into, you know, he had a box in his forehead that he made rather big. So he uh, walked into things quite frequently, so much so that apparently at times there would be a scrape and a cut and blood coming from their forehead. Why? Because I can't look at a woman. I can't look at a woman. So I got to work. I got to try. I got to work. I got to try. I got to work. Got to try. I got to work. And constantly they're obsessing. If I, if I look at a wimble, woman, I, I, I might stumble. I can't have that. I got to be holy. It's got to work for this. Work for this. So they mocked him as the bleeding Pharisee. So he's working for victory. But in the New Testament age, without being silly or stupid and do, being careless, victory is already accomplished. Why? Because God has given me a new heart and a new spirit. It's not the woman that's the issue on the street, guys. It is your spirit and heart that's off. Am I wrong? So what happens in the new covenant is by grace, God gives me a new heart. And in that new heart, new feelings, new affections. In my spirit, it's just newness. So I don't feel with the previous feelings or think with the previous feelings. I think by God. I feel by God. So now I can look up and the desire is not there. It has been replaced by God. It's a gift from God. Does it make sense? So that's why I even say to young men, there's no way a young man will overcome by trying to be like a Pharisee. You never overcome. And the fact, well, the chance that you might overcome, you're going to end up writing a book about it and make sure everybody noticed that you're an overcomer. 
See, everything that is of the flesh needs flesh approval. That which is of the spirit is spirit. What am I saying? The Christian life is not one where we are striving to get poison out of our being. Like they did in the Old Testament when they were bitten by snakes. The Christian life is one where I know that I have poison in me. But I look to the serpent on the cross. Moses made a serpent, wrapped it around a stick and said, If you look at this serpent, you'll be healed. And that is John 3.16. The whole John 3.16 is based on that analogy of the serpent that is lifted up. And he said, if I be lifted up, this is what happened. Jesus became that serpent. You have the poison within you. You've got the nature of the serpent within you. You've got the venom killing you. But you should not cut your flesh to try to suck out the venom. Wrap a tourniquet around. Like when you try to self-heal, you die. But in Moses' day, all we did is we looked outside to the serpent on a tree, and they were instantly healed. And that is the principle of grace, not the principle of law. Law says, earn, try, work, put a blinder, put a this, don't go to the mall, don't get a magazine. That's what works does. That's what the law does. And in a minute, I'm going to prove to you, every single time you try to do something in the flesh, sin will become stronger. But when you're in the principle of grace, there is power to overcome. Because grace changes your nature. Grace changes your mind. Grace changes your paradigm. There's no one in this room that knows how to honor their parents. So you can try to work at it, which is, I guess, not all that bad. But there's one in the universe that knew how to honor his father. Can you see how everything comes always back to Jesus, the Son of God? He knew how to honor his dad. Honor has been accomplished. When it says, honor thy father and thy mother, it's already been accomplished by one person on the entire universal scope. It's Jesus. So I reckon on his honor... I look to him and I say, Jesus, you're the only one that knows how to please and honor the Father. Lord, I dwell in you. Jesus, you dwell in me. And you honor through me. And you see, when Jesus comes into your life with, with there's divine power associated with grace, all of a sudden, a desire will, will, will rise up to want to like love your parents, uh, forgive your parents, buy a meal for them. Careful, like nobody has to preach that to you. Christ does it through you. It's so simple, yet so difficult because you do not believe. You still want to earn and put yourself under a law code. And I see so many people, they want to earn Bible knowledge. They want to earn the favor of God so that they work and they try and they have a checklist, and, they, and there's no power. And they wonder, why is this boring? Why am I checking out? Has nobody taught y'all that there's no power in the law? But there is divine power in grace. And I, 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 guys, I can't teach grace. You just have to experience it. I mean, I just like, grace is just God's nature. I can't teach it. Grace, you just, you just have to like open up your heart, 
big time and say, yes, Lord. And guys, you have. You've opened up your heart to receive a lot of things from God for free. And victory over sin, Satan, self, and the world is among those. to visit with you a little bit about this thing called the law. Now, hear me clearly. In biblical context, the law refers to Moses' law. That includes the Ten Commandments, which we call the Decalogue. But in addition to that, the law of Moses actually had 613 commandments. The Pharisees added about Sources say 2,000 additional laws to that. The law, according to God, is one sentence. According to the Ten Commandments, there's ten principles and dynamics. And for the rest of Judaism, there's 613. And so everywhere in the New Testament you read of the word law, it would refer to those elements. But don't be so, so narrow. Law can also mean anything that you spiritually put yourself under, that you make up, that you imagine, a false imaginary standard you create. All that could also be law. All that law is is a standard. It's a something you try to achieve and accomplish and attain to. So in our modern day, we are, most of us are not so concerned about the Jewish law. But, oh, we take all sorts of other spiritual laws. And we also try to obey those. We're the same as the Pharisees. They had about 2,000 extra. And Christians, pretty much we do the same thing. We've got about 10,000 extra laws. So, I want to talk about law in general then. It does not have power for you to accomplish that standard, even though the standard may be good and the standard is right and maybe the standard is honorable, yet you do not have internal power to measure up to that standard. Never have and never will. In the principle of grace, there is power. There's, the standard is still the law, but grace empowers you to actually accomplish it. And so the New Testament Christian lives from the principle of grace, not the principle of law. Now I want to point out a couple of things of the law for you, be it the law of Moses or the law in general that we put on ourselves, spiritual law. And by this I do not mean we disobey the civil law. Civil law is civil law and we obey that, right? Right? We drive the speed limit, right? We pay taxes, right? But I'm talking about spiritual things. Laws we put on ourselves to get spiritually right with God. Look here carefully. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56. The sting of death is sin, 
What he's basically trying to say is sin and death goes together. Death is Satan. And when he stings you, like that scorpion, he injects venom into you. And that death nature is injected into you. And there's sin. Sin is that venom. So the sting of death is sin. And then he says, the power of sin is the law. I want you to notice those few words there, just in, in verse 56. If you can just glance at the Bible for a second. There is the sting of death. There is sin. There is the power of sin. And there is law. And then notice the next sentence. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that word victory in verse 57 is over those matters previously written down. Death, sin, the power of sin, and law. So, what do we have victory over? Sin. The power of sin. Death. The law. And that's why that statement in verse 57 was written, is because Jesus gives us victory over those dynamics. But glance back at verse 56. Glance back one more time. Notice this. The power of sin is the... In other words, every time you try to obey a law code, either the Mosaic law code or a self-made-up spiritual law code, you will find a power that comes over you called sin. And that power will prevent you from keeping that law. So every time you're under law, sin rises up and becomes more powerful than ever before. That's why Romans 7, Paul says, because of the law, sin takes advantage of you. Sin ceased the opportunity. Sin is an entity, ladies and gentlemen. And that entity gains strength when you put a law on it. You won't see the power of sin unless you put law in front of it. So, historically, God gave the law to Israel. But the more God gave the law, the more they committed idolatry, the more they went astray. If God had never put a law on them, they would never have gone astray, so to speak. Because they would not have known what was right. But now God put a law on them, and sin revived. And sin all of a sudden whoosh, flexes its muscle. So every time there is law put on a person, there is sin that just gets up. It's like, what, what, who, where, where, no. And shuts it down. It's called the power of sin. And you were stung with death. Adam passed on death, Romans 5. Through one man's disobedience, death passed on to everybody. We've all been infected with death. And death is causing us to sin. 
But sin has power in us, and sin is an entity. Sin is the nature of Satan. I call it Satan's intrinsic nature, sin. And Satan's nature really thrives when you put the law of God, you put a boundary, you put a standard. That's why, guys, every time I tell you, you should pray every day, you should read your Bible every day. If I put a law on you, guess what you fixate on that on all day? I, I better keep that law. I better keep that law. And you, you, you don't fixate on Jesus. You fixate on keeping the commandment. And you'll see, even if you keep the commandment, pride will be associated with it. Because sin has power. It usurps. And you'll see that if you fail a commandment, there's condemnation. Either way, you lose. Because sin has power. Death has power. And notice, the word law provokes sin's power, where grace provokes divine power. That's the principle of grace. The more you live in grace, and I'm not talking looseness, or just, you know, casting off all restraint. Under grace, you become a perfect slave. But you will find a divine power within you that changes your desire. And you find a strange power in you that wants to do. Don't have to, but wants to. The strength of sin, the power of sin is the law. So every time I tell you, don't do this, guess what? The thing that you don't want to do, you will end up doing. Why? Because of the power of sin. And if I tell you every day, honor your mother, honor your father, honor your mother, even though that's a good thing, but I put the burden on you to honor, to honor, to honor. And yes, the Bible even says honor. But guess what? The more you try to honor, then you become so conscious of your works. What did I say? What didn't I say? Um, uh, what is honor? What isn't honor? Um, when do I honor? H how do I honor? And you, we constantly, you're in that dynamic, sin will lord over you. But here's what happens in the principle of identification. You have your eyes on the Lord. You see through His eyes. You feel through His love. You serve through His service. All of a sudden, honor is not something that you even intend to do. You just you live it because Jesus lives it through you. That honor becomes incarnated. So... Be careful how many laws, spiritual laws, that is, you put on yourself. Now, if you want to create a standard for exercise, go for it. A standard for eating, for your job, for your character, for work performance. You want to work hard and have some standards and values, go for it. Yeah, have a thousand standards. But keep it on the earthly level, okay? But before God, law disqualifies you. Go with me to John chapter 1 verse 16. For of His fullness we have all received 
grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And here, John is trying to clue us in that we don't live under Moses. Moses just gave you the law. I don't live under law. As long as you live under law, there's the strength of sin. But we live under grace. And notice how beautifully he says, this is so sweet, beloved. Of his fullness, you receive grace upon more grace after more grace. And that's the dynamic that we need to come into with victory. Victory is not something that I try to earn. Victory over lust, over greed, over ego. Victory over the fear of my past, the fear of my future, the fear of men. Like none of those things can we accomplish. It's already been accomplished. I just take care of walking with the Lord. And we'll get into that some more. Turn with me to uh, Romans 6. And uh, let's just look at one verse for now. For sin will not lord it over you. 6.14, right? Sin will not lord it over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. You see, when you're under law, sin has lordship. When you're under grace, Christ has lordship. Remember, of His fullness we've received grace. Moses gave law, but grace came through Christ. So when you're in grace, you're under the lordship of who? Christ. And the last time I checked, He was an overcomer. When you try to overcome by putting yourself under law, I'm going to fast, I'm going to try to pray, I'm going to have a devotion time, I'm going to go to church. And of course, there's, there is a thing called self-discipline, and yeah, I'm all for that. But the motivation is, are you trying to accomplish a standard, or are you just walking with God? Anytime you try to accomplish a standard, Satan, through death, through sin, will lord over you. Stay in grace, and Christ is Lord. And He grants all things. Stay in law, sin is Lord. That's why the more you want to do the right thing, the less you will ever do it. Even though it is the right thing, but because you make it a law and a standard to achieve it, to arrive at, right there you've already lost. You're not in victory. Okay? Uh, Ephesians 2, verses 5. Even when we were dead in our offenses, God made us alive together with Christ. Uh, what? Together with Christ. That's the principle of identification. You're already made alive with Christ. Then uh, he injects here verse 5. Uh, I don't know how your Bible has it. Mine puts it in parentheses. But he says, For by grace you've been saved. Do you all see that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Then he goes on. 
He just interjects that word grace there, but he still wants to carry on the original thought of being raised with, with Jesus. So he goes on in verse 6. He says, And he raised us up together with him. That's the principle of identification. And he seeketh us together with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's the principle of identification. That that's the principle that whatever happened to Christ happened to me. This is God's fact. This is God's view. Then he goes on and he says, Why did he put us in the heavenly places? Why did, why did God raise you up from the dead? So that he might display in the ensuing ages to come the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Ha <laughs> ha! There's the secret. Listen to Paul's theology. Jesus died. In the most mystical way, you died with Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead. You rose from the dead. Jesus was seated in the heavenlies. You're seated in the heavenlies. So that, and there's the transition now, there's the link to the practical, so that in the upcoming ages, in the upcoming eras, God can show off His extravagant grace. That is, He's going to use your life to manifest death and resurrection. He's going to use your life to manifest His extravagant mercy and kindness. How? By making it real in your life. But it's a fact that you and I are seated in the heavenlies. But now in this age, God is making real the fact that we're seated, that we are authority people, overcoming people. I mean, how more overcoming is seated, being seated on the heavenly throne? Amen. Notice verse 7, so that he might display. God is using your life from heaven towards earth. So in this earth to show forth what he's doing. So it's already done, but it is being done in your life. And that's kind of where we lose people. You're already apparently in the heavens. But in this age and in the ages, it is, it is being displayed. You are being shown off. You are being manifested. So what is manifested? Victory, holiness, righteousness, justification, power. They're like any good thing that is in the heavens, it's now being manifested through you. Okay, I'm not done yet. And show off the surpassing riches of His grace toward us in Christ Jesus. Notice, in the ages to come, if God is to show forth from your being, it will be on the principle of grace. For by grace you've been saved. Now Paul picks up this grace theme and he is going to hammer this nail. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, 
that no one should boast. You're not going to work to show off the power of God. You're not going to work to show off victory or work to show off that you're resurrected. Uh, in grace, God will make this happen because you were saved in this way. So you live in this way, not on works, in grace. Then here comes verse 10, the famous verse 10. But verse 10 is again a manifesting verse, a displaying verse. He says, For we are His masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God prepared beforehand in order that we would walk in them. That is, God's going to use your life to manifest His good works to manifest His grace, to manifest His power, His wisdom, His mind, His light, His victory. Just name it. God has already prepared it beforehand, and now through you, it's manifested. So it's the same principle that it's accomplished, but then it is manifested. It's already done, now it's being done. <laughs> 